This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. The topic this morning, I'm going to read, and if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we're going to talk about something that has affected some people with this uh, particular disease, but it affects us all at one point or another. And that is dealing with grief. And I want to talk about that this morning. And we're going to pick up in John 11, beginning in verse 14. And we're going to read the story of uh, Lazarus and uh, the account of when he was risen from the tomb. And I think there's just a lot for us to glean from this as as we look at this. Beginning in verse 14, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let me set the stage just a little bit before we go on. Earlier, what had happened in in chapter 10 and uh, maybe even beyond is Jesus was ministering through Jerusalem, had been in the temple and that type of thing, and uh, got into discussions with the Pharisees and some other Jews. And what took place was that they picked up stones and were attempting or about to stone Jesus. Jesus questioned them on that, and then they went to ascertain him or to get him, and he escaped from uh, their ability to do that, which leads... I have a lot of questions about that. Did he just, was it a miracle and he was gone or what? It seems kind of curious along those lines. But they were after Jesus already at this point. Jesus goes away to this uh, area here and uh, away from Jerusalem. And then what is taking place here, Thomas says, Let us go that we may die with him. He's not talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus. Um, In fact, they are cautioning him in the earlier verses in this chapter. Why do you want to go back? Because they're already seeking you to kill you. That's what they're about to do. Thomas is willing. This really is a side point. But Thomas is willing to go with Jesus and die with him. That's what that is talking about. Now then, in verse 17... Then when Jesus came, he found that he, had lain, that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat, in the, sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 
And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into town, but was in that place where Martha met him. <clears throat> and the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth under the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, would, wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. <clears throat> and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You know, I read this story. I, it, it was just where I was in a daily Bible reading sometime back. And I got to contemplating this because I've been through grief. Perhaps, probably all of us have at some level or another. And if you haven't, you surely will. Because it this affects every one of us in, in life. It's just part of life. It is something that we have to deal with. It's a subject that, that everybody has or will um, experience in their lives probably many times over. I've gone through it, and when I was going through my times of grief, you know what I experienced? A lot of joy and happiness, right? No. No. I, I experienced a real sense of gloom, weariness, worry, a loss of motivation, a loss of zeal and enthusiasm in my life. That's what I experienced, and I've been through it a few times in my life. I don't know, frankly, how anybody could be any different because it's just it's a, it's a tough thing to go through, at least for most people at some level. Processing grief is a lot harder than I ever thought it would be, to be honest. Just a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, 
I see so many scriptures in a different light. Having experienced that and then reading accounts like this, just see it in a different light. And I want to share some of that with you this morning. But I'll ask a couple questions. Did I enjoy being sad? Was that an enjoyable time? Of course not. Nobody enjoys being sad. Everybody wants to be happy. You know, that's the natural thing. Did I enjoy these emotions? Of course not. I'd much rather be happy. But here's the flip side of that coin, and I want you to consider as we set this up and move forward. You know, a lot of people say they want happiness in life, and they sacrifice a lot to have happiness. It doesn't always have to be bad things, but I will tell you, to just be happy, and it's generally pleasant, right? That's what happiness is. But simply seeking happiness in life, just seeking happiness, the idea of just being happy, let me tell you about that. Because I've lived that too. <laughs> let me tell you what it can lead to. It can lead to sin is what it can lead to. We're just wanting to be happy, and there's a lot of things in life that can make you happy. It may not be good for you, but it can make you happy, at least for the moment, right? We, well, let me, let me say it like this. It can lead to sin. It can lead to things like the bottle. It can lead to drugs. It can lead to leaving a spouse. It can lead to all kinds of problems in life if you're just wanting to be happy. Let me tell you, somebody very close to me left her husband some years ago. And I went to try to intercede, I guess, to do whatever I could because I didn't really know what to do. But I begged her, pleaded, pleaded with her and just to reanalyze what's going on. And here was what she said, among other things. I have served him all my life. It's re I'm ready to do something for myself. I just want to be happy. That was troubling. Because I'm like, how do you even answer to that? Because clearly her focus was on herself. I'm not saying there wasn't problems. There may very well have been. But there's things that we can work on in life. But she's just seeking happiness. It destroyed her marriage and affected a lot of her family. We will never find what we truly need when we simply seek to be happy, to satisfy the flesh. Happiness is temporary. It's even momentary much of the time. It is based only on emotions or our feelings. It causes us to swing from being happy to being sad, to being happy to being sad. And it's this vicious cycle that we continually just keep trying to be happy because there's too many sad things affecting in our, uh, us in our life, right? And we find ourselves on this roller coaster ride, we're never being satisfied and driven to more self-pleasing events and feelings. Listen, what happens when happiness leaves us for a time? Well, I can tell you losing those I loved didn't make me happy. It wasn't, wasn't a joyous time. Last year I had a heart attack and heart surgery and stuff like that. I almost lost my life in it. 
when I came out of that and realized what was going on and, and you know, looks like I'm going to survive at this point, I wasn't happy about that. I was actually, you could talk to probably Amanda and Jill both. I wasn't happy for three or four months after that. I was irritable and irritated and just frustrated and I couldn't do the things I always had been able to do. Didn't make me happy. These things happen in life. And while that's not death, events happen. No matter what it is, things happen in life. We've never been promised our life's going to be happy. And I think back to first century Christians who endured such persecutions. Were they happy? Well, I mean, in a sense, maybe, that they could do that for the Lord. I'll give them that. But did it bring them a lot of just personal happiness to suffer? That'd be hard to imagine for me. Listen, like happiness, sadness, and even grief is a real and legitimate emotion. And it's given to us by God. Uh, I don't believe we ought to stay in that state indefinitely, but it is a time that is imperative for us as we grieve for healing. And it can be good for us if we allow it to properly do its work on us. Allow me to suggest a different approach in our thinking. When your trust is solely in the Lord, that's where your trust is. It's solely in the Lord and not in the things of this life. There is a joy down in the depths of your soul that will bring you so much peace. It will bring you stability as you ride out the ups and downs of life. That's what it'll do. It goes much deeper than mere happiness. Whether happy or sad, you can face, you can face life with stability, these events that come our way. You can face life with consistent joy still. Here's what I mean. Happiness is not still happiness when the sad times come. I mean, you can't have them both at the same time. You're happy or you're sad. So when sad times come, happiness is no longer here. But joy is still joy, whether you're happy or sad. Here's a little more of what I mean. It's what really gets us through the sad times and the bad times, as we would call it, in our lives. Uh, it can only be had through a relationship, a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you've got that, He's given us everything that we need to have this joy. He's filled our lives with the Holy Spirit who provides all the power and strength we need to overcome the flesh. Whether it's temptations, trials, or, or even grief. He doesn't provide only momentary happiness. That's not what He provides. He provides a joy that runs much deeper than just happiness or sadness. Joy that lasts eternally. So what did I do in my times of grief when this sense of gloom invaded my life? In the text this morning that we just read, we encounter Mary and Martha at a very dark time in their lives. The shadow of death has fallen upon their home. Lazarus, their brother, is dead. All the members of this family are very close to each other. This is obvious within the text. And what a loss this was. 
It seemed as though life was spinning out of control. God seemed to be absent. They knew Jesus could have healed Lazarus. They, both of them told Jesus this. But instead, Lazarus was laid in the tomb. What do we do when we just don't know what to do? When we look here at the story at Mary and Martha, the first thing we see them experience was their emotions. They responded emotionally to this situation while experiencing this grief. And grief is a normal thing when we lose people. We grieve. Grieving was expected then, it's expected today. <clears throat> but when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, I just, in my mind's eye, I just kind of picture this scene. Martha hears Jesus is coming and it's as if she is so depressed. She's down. You can hear it in her voice. Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. This is a statement of grief and it's driven by our emotions. And how many times have we heard this? Or even said it. Why did this happen? Why didn't you save her? Why didn't you protect him from this? How could you allow this to happen? Where were you, God? Very common reactions that a lot of us may have or could ask these questions when we're dealing with this. And such is the case with Martha and Mary. <clears throat> You know, people somehow think that Christians aren't supposed to grieve. <laughs> In fact, I've had this said to me, isn't showing grief a lack of faith? No. <laughs> the answer is no. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 tells us not to grieve as those who have no hope. Paul, in writing that letter, didn't say not to grieve and end it there. He said, as those who have no hope. <clears throat> Pardon me. Get my voice going here. Grieving itself is a normal part of life. It is not evidence of a, of a lack of faith, as some may claim. It's an expression, however, of how much you love an individual. The deeper the love, the greater the grief, oftentimes. Have you ever asked... <laughs> why we have emotions anyway? Why do we have to deal with that? <clears throat> we have emotions because God has emotions. Don't you think about that for a moment. It's a part of being created in His image. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what do you notice? He has emotions. Whether it's throwing out the money changers in, <laughs> in the temple or on this occasion when he's weeping. He has emotions. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was familiar with grief. Isaiah 53 and 3, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And of course, that was a prophecy speaking of Jesus, but it tells us a lot about who Jesus was. In our text here this morning in John 11, first it says He loved Mary and Martha, and Lazarus. And then here we find that Jesus weeps. Why? Why was Jesus weeping? 
Surely it wasn't the grief of hopelessness. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we grieve not as those who have no hope, right? Lazarus was in a better state of being. That wasn't the kind of weeping that Jesus was doing. I don't believe it was a weeping of loneliness. You see, the Lord knew that Lazarus would be back with his family and his friends here shortly. That's really not something to get too upset about. Some have suggested that Jesus wept because he recognized that he would be bringing Lazarus back to a life of hardship. Uh, and in fact, the next chapter, John 12, in verse 10, indicates to us that the Pharisees would seek to kill him, talking about Lazarus. Still, I don't think that's the reason. I think it's obvious in the context that Christ wept out of a pure sympathy for those whose hearts were breaking at the time. He had true compassion. John writes this, beginning in verse 33, again, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. King James has groaned, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the very next verse, Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, just simply put. Jesus wept. He is weeping here because his heart is breaking for these people. He is saddened because he knows the human experience of loss. And he mourns with them. You know what you don't see? is Jesus entering the home of Mary and Martha and rebuking them for crying. <laughs> that was not what you see. He doesn't scold them. Rather, He enters into their mourning. Jesus doesn't say a whole lot, at least that we have record of, and that's probably a good thing for us to remember. If we are visiting somebody who's in the process of mourning or grieving, so often we say some unfortunate things. Good-hearted, meaningful, just unfortunate things said. I've been guilty of it, and I've had it said to me. Proverbs 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We do so much damage when we talk too much. And that's a reminder for me all the time. So he arrives, and we find him weeping with them. He entered in and shared their suffering and pain with them. We need to know a couple of things about this. We need to know how much Jesus cares for us and the things that we're going through. We need to know that. Jesus cares for us. He cares. He truly cares like nobody else can. And secondly, we need to learn how to care like Jesus did. What a great example we have before us to be able to reach out and care and even cry with people. So what's going on in your life? How are you feeling right now? You can share that with God. You can share it with Him. 
Don't hold it in. Just tell him about it. He is not intimidated by how you feel. <laughs> the Bible tells us that God mourns when we mourn. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who completely empathizes with us. King James says he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's our high priest. That's Jesus who cares for us. That's why Peter tells us to cast all our care upon Him, for He careth for us. He cares for us. He's not indifferent about our grief. And so as you experience this particular emotion, tell God about it, even when you think you have it all under control. Share your emotions with Him. Share them with a close brother or a sister. Because I'm telling you, it'll help you. You're not alone in this. And that's why we have each other. Mary and Martha experienced their emotions. And I don't know if you've learned this about me or even know this about me, but I experience my emotions all the time. Oh, when I was young, I didn't. <laughs> didn't. I don't know. It just seemed weak. I would watch my dad for years growing up and see my dad begin to break down over something that was said in the pulpit. And as a youngster, I'd look at that and go, what is wrong with him? If you're sitting behind him, you'd see his shoulders just start doing this. And you know he's starting to get choked up and emotional over something that seemed like it wasn't too big of a <laughs> statement even sometimes. That was my dad. Well... I'm now that age or older. <laughs> and I'm beginning to appreciate that and understand that a little bit more, I think. Last 20 years or so, I've begun to appreciate emotion. Being touched by something enough that it moves you with emotion. I've become more compassionate toward my fellow man. Oh, I'm probably not where I need to be yet. But I have as I've gotten older. I will show it and cry. Uh, my family gets a kick out of me, just like I used to my dad, even just watching a cheesy Christmas movie or something. And, and they just know it's the spot and they just look at me, you know. Because they, they just know I'm going to start trying to hide my face. Emotion. You know, I'm convinced by looking at the life of Jesus that crying does not equate to weakness. And especially the men probably, but maybe it affects some women. You need to, you need to get in touch with this one and really connect at a heart level with people because that's exactly what Jesus did. It doesn't equate to weakness. It equates to strength as a truly compassionate Christian. Again, I'm not... I'm not there yet, but I've got the, I've got the crying part down. <laughs> our emotions, however, do not dictate our lives. That's the distinction. And that's what we must separate in our minds and in our way of thinking. Our emotions do not dictate our lives. We live by faith, period, which we see in Mary and Martha's example, ironically. Emotions are temporary. They change quickly. Let me tell you something. Faith is eternal. 
It's something you walk right into heaven with. Faith is important. And we need to not lose uh, grasp of that. It's grounded in truth. It does not change. Mary and Martha are experiencing grief, and yet they live by faith. We'll pick it up again in verse 21 of, this, of John 11. They say something that many people, Mary and Martha, that many people find to be accusatory, really, or kind of an accusation. I'm not so convinced. Martha said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it sounds like he's a, they're accusing him, right? Reading on. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That is a powerful and impressive proclamation to me after what all she's dealing with. And yet she acknowledges in faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Now, if Mary thought, or excuse me, Martha, if Martha thought Jesus was really going to raise Lazarus right then and there, because that's not what she's talking about. I'll explain more as I go on. But if Martha thought Jesus was really going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right then, why did she object when Jesus goes to remove the stone? She's the one who rejected it. What does she say? He's been gone four days, right? It's the bad odor. This is not the time to open up the grave. She objected to Jesus saying, open it. She didn't expect him to raise Lazarus right then. Her affirmation of faith in him was not about him raising Lazarus from the grave. It was about a belief in who he was. Now, I want you to listen to what she said. She didn't expect him to raise her, her brother then and there. Don't, don't mistake this reaction for a lack of faith. She clearly affirms her faith when she said, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. What Martha is saying to Jesus is simply this, Lord, I know that had you been here... <coughs> Had you been here, you would have healed Lazarus. He wouldn't have died. But I still believe in you. That's what Martha's saying. She believed that he was who he said he was, that he could ask the Father for anything and he'd receive it. She had accepted that Lazarus was dead. That didn't shake her faith in Jesus. And she didn't blame God and cast her faith out the window. She would accept whatever the Lord's will was in this regard. And I asked myself this question when I kind of dissected this and came to that 
conclusion, do I have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Do you really believe that God the Father knows what is best for your life? Can you trust Him? Where does Martha get this faith? Clearly, and it's kind of a deduction on my part, but she had sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from Him. She was very close to Jesus, and her whole family was. She had listened to Jesus and His teachings. Jesus had given her knowledge. You know what Romans 10, 17 says? We use it all the time. So then faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Where does our faith come, and come from? Where does it come from? From hearing the Word of God. The same is true for us as it was Martha and Mary. Do you trust God? And are you really living and walking by faith? Imagine just for a moment what would have happened if Mary and Martha had lived only by their emotions in this. Just think about that for a moment. What would they have done? What would they have said? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. It's hypothetical, I guess, anyway, at this point. But I imagine it quite differently. I'm sure they would have accused Jesus for Lazarus' death as many people today blame God when these things come to pass. They may have given up on God. But let me tell you what we saw instead of that. Instead of living by emotions, let's, let's look at what we saw. We see this family rallying together during this time around Jesus. That's what they were doing. And I think what a great example. That's exactly what we all need to be doing around these times. Our faith and our trust is in the Lord. Death is sure and it'll happen. You see, the problem today is people approach God. If they approach God, they approach Him without faith. Instead of forming their beliefs according to the knowledge that God has given them, People only believe what they experience and how they feel, their emotions. They lean on the wisdom of man instead of God. Brothers, sisters, this is a dangerous position to be in because what you are saying is that you really don't believe God when you're in that case. That's the proclamation you're really making. Emotions are part of the storms of life. And you must get through them. But faith in God and His Word is the anchor. It's the anchor that saves us from shipwreck. He is the one that we lean on. And so you must remind yourself of God's promises just as Jesus reminded them. You see, first Martha and Mary experienced their emotions. Next, they made this statement of faith. They believed Him and believed in Him. And then Jesus reminds them of God's promises. Your brother will rise again. We could, we could take that and extrapolate that out and 
say maybe it just had two meanings. It might have. Your brother will rise again. But the thing I think about is that it applies to me in today's time is every Christian funeral that's ever taken place over the last 2,000 years since the time of Christ is a reminder of the resurrection. In the time of darkness, we need to be reminded again of the hope of resurrection. We will live on. We will rise as His followers, as His saints. There are many promises, and so many. My goodness, we could spend the next hour reading promises of God from the Bible. But I'm just going to mention two or three here. Philippians 4 and 6, we're probably familiar with them. But do not be anxious about anything. That means don't worry about anything. As a Christian, God is our maker, and He is our provider, and He's our Lord. Jesus said to Paul after he received the, the thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he does the same thing for us today. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul was writing this letter, and he didn't say, I can do all things, period. <laughs> it wasn't about himself. It was because of the strength that Christ would provide you, you are able to do it. Those are promises that we need to latch on to, probably memorize, and have ever before us in our mind as we deal with the, the problems, the, the trials and, and things that we deal with in life. <clears throat> In this account, back in John again, verse 14 and 15, Jesus told his followers earlier, before they had come, that Lazarus was dead and that he was going to raise him up so that they would believe. It would be a testimony of who he was. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to Him. Do we really believe in Him no matter what? When bad things happen to you, do you respond in a way that your intent is that He be glorified through these events or through the reaction that you have to these events? Who has the upper hand? <laughs> the Holy Spirit living inside you or Satan? It's just kind of blunt. It's just there. But who has the upper hand in that? Come on. Really. He has provided the power and the strength and the motivation to be able to endure these things. The problem is a lot of times we're not connected to it like we ought to be. We're not accepting it or we're refusing it. And we're not believing God. We're not believing in His promises. Does God have all power over you? Is He able to deliver you? Is He able to supply all your needs? See, these are built in some of those other promises I hadn't even read. Of course He is. Or are you settling for some temporary satisfaction? What in your life is like the experience of Mary and Martha? What feels like a hopeless situation? You know, maybe it's your job. 
Maybe there are problems in your life that you feel like there's no way out. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's simply confusion. Maybe it's the burden of financial pressure. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Remember that Jesus is the resurrection. Not only at the end of time, but also in this life. He can give you what you need and the strength to stand up in this life and be able to go on. Mary and Martha are not our only examples to learn from, however, in this text. We can learn from Lazarus as well. Hear the words of Jesus that he spoke to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. That's what he proclaimed to Lazarus. Many times our life seems hopeless. It feels as if we've died. It feels as though there's no use in getting back up. But Jesus says, come forth. Come forth. We must choose to stand up, to live for him every day. Instead of using, I'm only human, as an excuse to walk in the flesh, how about using I'm redeemed or I'm saved as a reason to walk in the Spirit? We don't grieve like other people who have no hope. We grieve like a Christian ought to grieve. We grieve. We put things in order and put our trust where it needs to be, and then we get back up. I am thrilled to know that the day will come when all who have died will hear the trump of God and will arise. Resurrection day is coming. It's a time we, it is time we trust God. It's time we quit wallowing in the mire of self-pity. It is time we have the confidence that Martha had. It is time we choose to come forth from the grave of despair and worry and confusion and know that we have a God who is real. We have a God who can and does truly love us with a compassionate heart, who sent His Son to die on Calvary because of the compassion and love He had for us. God is powerful in our lives and can lift us up and cause us to live a more godly and productive life than ever before. We have a God who can and will preserve us under the coming of the day of Jesus Christ. But we have to believe in Him. We must trust in Him with an absolute trust. And the lesson is yours this morning. If, if there's areas in your life where you have allowed your own self, I'm just to be blunt because it's just the way I am sometimes, but your own self-centeredness, everything's focused about you and on you, and you've lost that focus, that connection that you need, that relationship that you need to have with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Today's the day. Don't waste another moment. I lost my dad a couple of years ago. I lost my first wife seven and a half years ago um, in a car wreck. I mean, things like that happen, and you don't know when. Get your relationship right with the Lord today. It doesn't matter what other people think. 
how you think people will look at you or care, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't matter. You need your relationship with the Lord right. And it needs to begin today. I implore you, um, come if we can assist you in anything or in any way as we sing this song that's selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.